ever since I got bit by that spider. I've only had one week where my life has felt normal. That was when you found out. that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man. We started getting some visitors. From every universe. Hello, Peter. I'm sorry, what was your name again? Dr. Otto Octavius. <laughs> Wait, no, seriously, what's your actual name? There are others out there. We need to send them back. So, Scooby-Doo this crap. You know, all this is kind of your mess. I know a couple of magic words myself, starting with the word please. Please, Scooby-Doo this crap. You're flying out into the darkness to fight ghosts. What do you mean? They all die fighting Spider-Man. It's their fate. I'm sorry, kid. Yeah, me too. Don't. Look, there has to be another way. There isn't. They're a danger to our universe. You're not gonna take this away from me. You're struggling to have everything you want while the world tries to make you choose. This is all my fault. I can't save everyone. They're starting to come through, and I can't stop them. Okay. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Kale. I'm the teaching pastor here. If you're part of the LifePoint family, obviously you know that. It's good to see you. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, guests, I want to welcome you. We're grateful that you're here. Uh, I want to just acknowledge a couple of things. Uh, one, we know it's getting tight in here. Uh, let me say thanks to the folks who are sitting on the sides of our room right now who are looking at the back of my head. Students, I see you guys over there sitting behind the baptistry. So thank you for all of those who parked on the side of the road uh, today to make room uh, for others. I just want to say thank you. It's a joy to get to do this with you. We're going to talk about this morning in Philippians 2. Uh, in humility, consider others before yourselves, right? Looking not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So thank you, church family, for continuing to sacrifice to make room for others to come and to hear the gospel and to learn what it means to walk with Jesus. It's a joy to do it with you. Uh, we are sprinting as fast as we can towards uh, renovation and towards the expansion of our auditorium and an additional uh, kids' room and student room and multi-purpose room. Uh, there we're aiming at late May early June, right, to be done with that. Now we all know construction projects never have delays and everything always goes on time. Uh, but 
honestly, our team, uh, our construction team is fantastic. They're doing a great job. We're very pleased with the process. And so right now we are on schedule. And so hopefully within the next couple of months here, we'll be able to have a little bit of, of breathing room. But I'm encouraged just by what God is doing. And I want to encourage you to continue to share the gospel, uh, to invite others uh, into a relationship with, with Christ. We, uh, we're finishing up our series today. And we've been calling, we do it every year, long time now, Now Playing, where we talk about the intersection really of faith and film. We sort of go to the movies together in a sense, and we use that movie and the message of that movie as a launch pad into the scriptures to talk about how does the message of that movie really uh, intersect with the message of the gospel? How do we see it reflecting the gospel or contradicting the gospel? And here in Spider-Man No Way Home, um, let me just give you, you may have caught it from the Uh, trailer, but let me give you a summary of the film. Peter Parker, right, Spider-Man, has his identity revealed to the world. It ruins his life. Now that the world knows who he is, it ruins his life and the lives of those around him, his family and his friends. And so he asks Dr. Strange, the guy with the cape and the beard, to cast a spell to make everyone uh, forget who Peter Parker is, forget that he's Spider-Man, except the people that he still wants to know. And he keeps changing things right in the middle of it. And so the spell goes haywire and it ends up drawing into his world all the people from any other world, it's the multiverse, so all these different universes, it draws in people who knew that he was Spider-Man, which means mostly the villains uh, from other worlds, which really means from other movies. So what happens is Doc Ock and Doctor uh, Doc Ock and Green Goblin and Electro and all these villains from past Spider-Man films get drawn into this film. It's very creative, actually, and, and actually not only that, but it draws in the other Spider-Man. If you haven't seen it, uh, again, your fault. You had time, so I'm going to spoil all of it for you, but... It draws in the other Spider-Mans from the other films. And so Andrew Garfield, who played him in the early, uh, in the 2010s, 12, and then way back when, way back when, in the early 2000s, Tobey Maguire, right, in the original sort of Spider-Man, it draws those guys in. And it's, I mean, it's phenomenal watching it. It's really well done. I enjoyed it as much as I've watched enjoying a film for quite some time, uh, probably since the last time I watched Lord of the Rings. And so, um, which was last night. But here's what happens, all right? Here's what happens, and it's, it's fascinating. Instead of trying to defeat or kill all of his enemies, he tries to save them. He feels compelled to try to help them, each and every one of them, to try to change them from the inside out before they go back to that other universe, to their world. And some of that is through technology, but a good bit of it is just through his sacrifice, He gains their trust, many of them, he gains their trust because of his willingness to try to help and his love for them. And it's his friends, he's certainly trying, he gives of himself. In the end, he actually chooses a world where he's forgotten in order to save his friends, but along the way also to save his enemies. And so as I'm reflecting on that, you think, does any of that sound familiar? Right? This hero who's so loving, so selfless self-sacrificial, so humble that he gives himself not only for his friends, but for his very enemies. It's almost like the writers were trying to write a gospel-themed movie. And so I wrote these two questions down as I watched it, right? Wouldn't it be amazing if there were a superhero, a hero who were not just powerful, but also so loving, so kind, so humble, so self-sacrificial that he would lay down his life not only for his friends, but his very enemies. And secondly, wouldn't it be amazing if we could be more like that? Which seems to be things that the film is asking, because as you watch it, I don't think the point is just to point to someone like Spider-Man. I think they're trying to teach us this is the way we should be. 
Try to understand people. Try to help them, even if they're seemingly your enemies. And so as we ask those two questions, we're going to open up Philippians 2, and we're going to see the Apostle Paul addressing the church, really saying those two very things in reverse. Hey, we can be like that, but it's not because of something good in us. It's because of him. We have the hero. We have the Savior, the one who laid down his life, not just for his friends, but for his very enemies. And so as we read Philippians 2, I want to ask you to keep two things in mind, and we're going to sort of dive into these things, Christ's humiliation and then his exaltation, Christ's humbling of himself, and then the Father's lifting him up, that he might receive the name above every name. We'll see that in a a hymn. Some commentators think the second part of Philippians 2 is basically a hymn that Paul is reciting, an early church hymn about Christ. But let's let's read it together. Paul, chapter 2, verse 1, speaking to the church, he's speaking to them about unity, about having the same mind and the same heart and being guided by the same love and having this humility towards one another, a paradigm-shifting, paradigm-challenging humility It causes others to look in and say, what is it about these people? And this is what he says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now is the Apostle Paul telling the Philippians and us that we have to agree on every single thing? No, that's not ever going to happen. What he is saying is our lives should be guided by and unified by a shared pursuit of Christ, the mission and our love for him. One of the things that I lament is seeing how sometimes we as Christians, I see it in my own life, we get divided and divisive about things that don't matter because Christ doesn't matter enough. I notice in my own heart, when I start to get sideways about things that don't matter, it's because I've taken my eyes off of Christ. But when my eyes are fixed on Him, when I'm walking closely with Him, when I'm keeping the main things the main things, these things that don't matter, they're easier to say, they don't matter. That is not a reason to divide over, get sideways over. We've got a mission. We have a Savior who loved us. Let's, as Paul is going to say, in humility... Count others more significant than ourselves. It's when I take my eyes off of him, I get sideways about secondary issues. He says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's a big statement, isn't it? Do nothing from selfish ambition. He doesn't say, hey, I know we all have these areas that we're kind of selfish, and that's okay, right? Just try to minimize. He says do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This does not come naturally to us. This is the supernatural life we're talking about that only happens by, as we talked about last week, being united with Christ in a death like his and the old person dying and then being united with him in a resurrection like his, that a new person comes to life with new desires. Because he says, man, put away selfishness and selfish ambition and conceit and in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, and that's important. He doesn't say you neglect yourself. That's not realistic. That's not healthy. But he says, as you look to your own interests, also look to the interests of others. 
you are saying, right, there's this great moment. It's great. I say that. It's really horrible, actually, but it's a good teaching moment. Cain and Abel, you go all the way back into Genesis, the early parts of Genesis, and Cain goes and kills his brother. And when God comes to him and says, where is Abel? Cain's response out of defensiveness is, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer for the Christian to that question is, yes. I am my brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper, your sister's keeper. Our, we look and we take on the burdens of those around us. We don't just say, that's not my problem. It's become our problem. Because as we pursue Christ together, and even those not pursuing Christ, we're called to love in a radical way. Because as Paul's going to tell us, that's the way that Christ loved us. We, in humility, consider others before ourselves, and we look to the interests of others, and we take on problems that aren't rightfully our problems, but we say, man, this is what God did for me. And true love, we've been reading a book in our life group that talks about this, that any love that's true is sacrificial. It's self-sacrificing. When you really love someone, you take on their burdens. You take on some of their pain. And you don't have to. You're choosing to. And the reason that we choose to do that, right, this is the second question. It wouldn't be great if we could be more like that. Paul says, yes, we are more like that. We should be more like that. And why? Because that's what Christ did for us. That's the model and example that we have. Our Savior, our hero, that's what he did. And he goes on to say that. Starting in verse 5, have this mind, why, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus? The reason he says, I want you to count others more significant than yourselves, and in humility do this, and put away pride and selfishness, even though the world often celebrates those things. He says, put it away because that's what Christ did for you. And what he goes on to say here is, like I said, many commentators think it's an early Christian hymn about Jesus, about the way he was humbled and humbled himself and then the way that he was exalted. We're going to take some time just to dive into it. He says this, who, right, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Though he was God, did not cling to that, didn't say I'm going to use that to my own advantage, but rather emptied himself. And how did he empty himself? By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Doesn't grasp for it, but rather gives it up, takes on flesh, leaves heaven's throne. I was reflecting on this, right? One of the most powerful aspects of the film is that Spider-Man, Peter, has such power, and yet he chooses not to use it to his own advantage. Do you notice that all through the Spider-Man films? That part of, I think, why, one of the things we love about Spider-Man is he's so ridiculously humble. He, he has the power to stop a bus with his bare hands, but he can barely pay his rent. He's got such power, but he's barely scraping by. He doesn't choose to use. He could demand so much of everyone else and say, look, I'm saving all of you. You guys give me a yearly stipend, right? You need to pay me. I need a big penthouse, right? I mean, he could demand so much from those that he's serving, and he demands nothing. He he can't get into college. He can barely afford an apartment. He, He chooses to give up that power, even though he has that power, chooses to give it up in order to serve others. And I think part of the reason we find that so 
jarring, that juxtaposition of power and humility, part of the reason we find it so attractive and powerful is it is so Christ-like. It's echoes of the gospel. Christ, if I can say it this way, is the, he's the better Spider-Man. Every savior and superhero we come up with is us trying to fill this void and really us expressing our need and saying, wouldn't it be great if there were someone like this? And the answer is, there is. That's the story of God and his love for his people. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then it goes further. The, the humbling's not yet done. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. From heaven's throne to a Roman cross. Have you ever taken time just to think about the magnitude of Christ's humiliation. Whole books have been written on this. I'm going to ask us to think about it for like two minutes. Just to contemplate for a moment. You know, we get to Christmas time and we sing about Jesus being born in the manger. And it's like, wait, 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 no, think about that. Can you even, I mean, can we even fathom? He's God. <laughs> he needs nothing. Eternally joyful with the Father, the second member of the Trinity, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, existing from all eternity. He has everything. He owns everything, needs nothing, and yet chooses to be obedient to the Father. He chooses to be born in the light. As a baby, submits himself to the authority of human parents. Parents, can we imagine just for a day being like, okay, kids, you're in charge. I will do everything you say. Some of us were like, strangely uncomfortable, right? Well, can you imagine the humility of that though? Saying like, I'm just going to give up authority. And imagine what that was like for Christ. And yet he does it. And then, even more obedient, goes to the cross and allows himself to be hung, executed by the people that he came to save. The creator allowing himself to be hung by his creation. The savior choosing to take on the form of a servant. God putting on flesh in all of its weakness, tiredness, needing sleep, needing rest. Jesus took all of that on for you and for me. I was trying to come up with illustrations, and I don't, maybe this will be helpful for some of us, just of, of like, Lord, what... <laughs> What humility. Uh, if you've ever been in a hospital setting, um, I had to have surgery recently on some my nasal passages. And um, if you've ever been to surgery, like it's a rather humbling experience, is it not? Have you ever been in the hospital, right? I was reflecting on why, did, why is it so uncomfortable in some ways? It doesn't matter how great the nurses are and how great the doctors are, they all do a great job. But it's just a humbling experience because you give up such control. You get to like put on the gown and you're like, this is awkward. And then they like give you the little fuzzy socks and you're like, I feel kind of like a child, right? And so you, 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 you give up so many things that make you feel so in control. And we're not really in control, but you kind of give up the illusion of that. And you place yourself under the authority of others. And then you have to put on this awkward gown and you, it's just all a very humbling experience. And it's nothing compared to Christ putting on flesh. Him... <laughs> lowering himself to be born as a man 
as a baby. And then obedience unto the point of death. 2 Corinthians 8 9 summarizes it this way. The Apostle Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you and I, through his poverty, might become rich. It's often what we call the great exchange, right? Christ lowering himself that we might be lifted up with him, going to the cross and dying that we might find new life in him. And here's where it gets even better. (laughs) He did it all while we were still running away from him. He did it for his enemies, those running from him in rebellion. It's not like we were there going, man, we just are so waiting. I don't know about you, right? But like without Christ, I don't wake up each day going like, I just want to do all the right things today, God. I'm just so excited to be righteous in every single way and treat other people exactly the way that you've called. Like that's not any of us apart from Christ. And again, that's one of the things so jarring in the film is that you, you've, we've got a grid for Peter loving MJ and Ned, his, friend, his girlfriend and his friend and Aunt May and, and giving of himself for the sake of his friends. We understand that, right? You love those you, that love you. Give yourself for those who give themselves for you. What is so attractive about the film and yet so causes you to kind of pause is that he's doing that for people who are trying to kill him. He's got these enemies who are trying to murder him, and he's like, hey, I really want to help you guys. And it's a little bit, you, you pause and go, I don't know that I've seen this before in one of these films. Once again, it's this deeply gospel theme where Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 says it this way. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the what? The ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is sort of the, I mean, just one aspect of the profound beauty of the gospel is that Jesus humbles himself and God demonstrates his love for us that while we were at our worst, Christ came for us. And while we were still running away from him, Christ came running after us. And he loved us not because we were lovely. We're lovely because he loved us. He loved us when we were unlovely. And that's the thread that the Apostle Paul is pulling on here. Why he looks at the Philippians and why he looks at us and says, guys, consider others before yourself. Why? Why should I do that? Because that's what Christ did for you. Love others when it hurts. Why? Because that's what Christ did for you. Take on humility. Why? Because Christ took on flesh. Consider others before yourselves. But that's unnatural. Yes, it is. And that's exactly what our Savior did for us. And this is a really important point and a, a bit of a distinction between the film and maybe the gospel message. So there's multiple moments in the film, if you, if you saw it and if you caught it, where people keep asking Peter and those around him, why is he trying to help these people? And the answer to that question is, because that's just who he is. That's just who he is. Or they say, why don't you just kill him already, right? That's not who he is. And here's, here's a, a tension point we come to, right? Despite its gospel themes, that message is something that's really not the gospel and it's something that we as human beings desperately want to believe about ourselves. Basically, we're just really good. I'm just a good person. 
In fact, when Peter finally gives in to the desire for revenge and he tries to uh, kill Green Goblin because of him killing Aunt May, um, he ends up being helped. But do you know who helps him? Himself, right? From another universe. So even then, right? Like, and there's some beauty to it. It's about him learning from his past mistakes. But there's also this sort of message of like, you help you. Right? Deep down, we're good people. That's just who we are. Be a good person because that's just who we are. And that's not who we are. We talked about that last week. We need to be forgiven. We need to be reconciled to the Father. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, man, be like this. Love others. Why? Not because that's just who we are, but because that's who he is. And he's shaping us into his image. I had a guy uh, a couple of weeks ago come to my office and we were talking about this and he was reflecting on a message from a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about forgiveness, keeping short accounts with each other because Christ has taken our account and nailed it to the cross. And he said, he started, he said, man, I'm just a forgiving person. And then he paused. And it was honestly very powerful to watch because as we processed it out loud, he said, you know, maybe I'm not as forgiving as I always thought I was. And he was beginning to process out loud where he said, I've always seen myself as a forgiving person. But maybe I've held on to some stuff in ways that I didn't think that I was doing. And basically walked himself to the place of understanding, no, I think something needs to change in here. It's not just I'm a good person and I'm a forgiving person. It's, man, I need the forgiveness of Christ to help me to forgive. And I thought, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Because it's not just I'm a good person. It's not that's just who I am or who you are. It's that's who he is. And he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when you embrace that, and when you accept Christ, and you begin to walk with him, that humbling, it begins to transform you into Christ's likeness, to where we consider the interests of others before ourselves. Now, here's where we're going to turn, right? We're going to look at 9, 10, 11 for just a moment. And this is sort of a a difference. Once again, I, I noticed in the film, I'll talk about that in a moment, the way the film ends is not well for Peter, right? He ends giving up, in a sense, his identity and his sacrifice really just leads. There's a happiness in some ways, but MJ and Ned, his friends, nobody knows him anymore at the end of the film. And he's happy because they have a sort of new start in life, but he is left alone in his apartment, kind of doing life alone. But here's where we're going to see something. So look at, look at 9, 10, 11. Christ's sacrifice leads him to being born as a baby, then to the cross and the humiliation of the cross. But it doesn't end there. Right? His sacrifice doesn't end. The story's really good. It doesn't end in loneliness and despair. Here's what happens. Therefore, because of his humbling and obedience to the point of death, therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame. Why? Because he knows on the far side of it is not loneliness and exile and despair and being forgotten, but being exalted back to the right hand of the Father forever and being the object of worship from people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and then he's bringing many sons and daughters with him. The story's really good. And I have a hunch, right, as I watched the film, I was reflecting, I have a hunch that Peter's story 
story arc, right, that Spider-Man's story arc is going to complete itself. My, I could be wrong, but I, I have a hunch that in the films to come, that he's going to win MJ back, and he's going to win Ned back, and somehow they're going to know him again, and that in the very end, we'll be able to look back and see how his humility and his sacrifice ultimately led to greater joy. And there's a reason I think we want that. We say, yes, that's good and right. We want to see that because it's written in the very gospel. It's the story of Christ and us. It's Jesus coming down for us and humbling himself that he might bring many sons and daughters into the kingdom and then God exalts him back to the throne. Jesus' story doesn't end at the cross. It goes to the empty tomb, the resurrection, the ascension, the exaltation, and now we worship him and we bend the knee and we bow and say, Jesus, King Jesus, my life is yours. And that's actually where I want to close this out. I want to close with two things. All right? I'm going to talk for a moment to those of us who are believers, who would claim to be believers, as I often do. And then also as I often do, I want to address those of us who are here today that you might not say you're a believer. You may say, man, I haven't grown up in this, or I have, and I've rejected it, or I'm learning, but still would not call myself a believer. Let me speak firstly to those of us who are here today, and you would say, man, I consider myself a believer. Look back at verse 10, okay? Where it says that every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. 10 and 11. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And I want us to just hone in on this. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. And for the believer... That's not just a future action, that's a present reality. If you're a believer in Christ, the knee bowed before Jesus, that's a posture of our lives. That's a way of life. To say it differently, right, we often challenge folks, guys, Christianity is not just, faith in Jesus is not just a set of beliefs, things that we check off, boxes that we check. Yes, I believe that, I believe that. It is that, but it's more than that. When you think about someone bending the knee, right? Someone on their knee before someone else, before the king, it's a posture of humility saying, Lord, my life is yours to command. Tell me what to do. You gave your life for me, so I'm giving my life back to you. It's a posture of humility. It's a way of life. And so I want to lean into us this morning and ask every single person here who you would say, yes, I'm a believer. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian. Does the bended knee, does that posture of humility before the king describe your life? Does that describe your life? If someone else were to look at your life and dissect it and say, how are you using your time? How are you using your money? How are you using the gifts that God has given? What do you think about? What's most important to you? What do you talk about? What stirs your affections most? Is it, man, it's Christ. There's this posture of humility. That's a person who's looking at Jesus going, Lord, you gave your life for me. So I give my life back to you. What do you want me to do? Command me, my Lord, and I'm yours. I'm there. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. My life, use me in any way you want. And listen, I'm not saying it's always easy. <laughs> I'm not saying it, that it's, you hear the words and you never go, oh man, you're calling me to do what? Yes, we wrestle with those things. I'm not saying we do it perfectly. 
that there should be this posture in our lives of humility toward the Lord, saying, Jesus, for all that you've done and for all that you are, I love you and my life is yours. And I want you to take some time. We're going to pray here in a moment, and I want you to reflect on that. Lord, does that posture reflect my life? And then for those of us who are here today and you're not a believer, I love you. I'm going to lean into you here. If the scriptures are true, and I believe they are, bowing the knee to Jesus is not optional. It's just a matter of when and how. If Jesus is the king of the universe, there will come a day when he returns and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so the question for you today is really, when and how will you bow the knee? When you think about people bowing the knee before the king, generally speaking, there are two options. As loving, loyal subjects who joyfully bend the knee before the king and say, Lord, command me. Or as conquered foes. And I don't want anyone here to meet Jesus in this place. Still running in rebellion against him. And it's your choice. How do you meet him that day? The first time he came in humility. Humbled himself. Born in the likeness of men. Went to the cross for you. For me. To bring many sons and daughters into glory. And you can meet him saying, man, I'm looking forward to the day my king returns. Or you can meet him only when he returns to execute justice, still running away from him in sin. And the, t- the, the call today is, man, if today you hear his voice, if you've come to the place we talked about last week where you're saying, I've tried everything and I can't fix whatever's wrong in here. No, you can't. But Christ can. He came. He lived. He died in your place. And he rose again that you might have new life in him. And I plead with you, bow the knee today. Confess him as Lord and Savior and start anew. Live your life in and for him. Let's pray together. Father, we started our time with these two questions. Wouldn't it be amazing if there were a hero? God, a Savior so, so humble, so loving, so self-sacrificial that he would give himself not just for his friends and those who love him back, but for his very enemies. And wouldn't it be amazing if we could be more like him? God, we thank you, and I thank you that the answer to those two questions is yes and amen because of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you are the hero, you are the Savior, you are the King, you are our Lord. And you don't just call us servants, you call us friend, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. I want to give us a moment right now to pray. For those of us who bear the name of Christian, I want you to take a moment and reflect on what I said about the heart posture of your life. Does the bended knee reflect your posture, your way of life before King Jesus? And if not, ask the Lord what needs to change today.
as we uh, continue to pray. I want to speak to those who are here today and maybe you've never taken that step to trust Jesus as Lord. But today, today is the day where you've heard God's voice and through the circumstances of your life and the hearing of the word and maybe friends inviting you and friends sharing the gospel with you, uh, you're at a place where you want to say, man, I want to take that step and start a relationship with Jesus. I want to pray for you. I want to invite you to pray with me or pray in your own words. Lord, today... I accept the gift of salvation. Jesus, I know it cost you everything that it might be free to me. And from this day forward, starting right now, I bow the knee and I confess Jesus as Lord. And I ask for the forgiveness of my sin. And from this day forward, Lord, my life is yours to command. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you continue to work and you continue to save and you continue to draw people to yourself. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen and amen.